0: You know, there's, um, there's a heaviness in our hearts um, for uh, Melissa, for Pastor Jeff. I don't know if you knew, he had surgery Friday morning. Um, he had uh, a hernia fixed, and uh, it went really well. The surgery went well, but um, he, he didn't do too well with the, uh, with the anesthesia. So he had kind of a rough day Friday. He's doing, doing better. Um, one of the men uh, spoke with him yesterday, and um, he's doing he's doing better uh, with the effects, the after effects of of the anesthesia and uh, the notch is Not too bad, and feels like he's moving the right way. Obviously, we're going to continue uh, to continue to pray for them. I hope you got a handout. There were one in almost every seat in the building. I hope you'll you'll take that and you'll follow along. I've, there's so much scripture today. I wanted you each to make sure you had that in your hands, and I'd like for us to uh, to look at that together. But there, you know, last Sunday after the testimony from the week before, there was, there was kind of a heaviness, and there, there's, there certainly is in your families and your extended families, and there is for us in our church family, when one of our brothers and sisters are, um, are struggling with something, especially something like uh, what Melissa's going through with the cancer Uh, that's uh, that's in her. And God's begun to answer our prayers for healing. Now, we could spend some time talking about the difference between a miracle and healing from Scripture. We're not going to do that today. The difference between a miracle and healing. Here's what I would say by way of summary. They both come from God, and they're both really good. Amen? Yeah, so... So we we can we can have discussion if you want to and that may be appropriate at some point. What what in the word of God is a miracle and what is healing and what that looks like in our in our lives uh, the, in this day and age. Um, but they both come from the hand of God, either instantaneously or in process. And anything that comes from the hand of God, either instantaneously or in the process of His work, is always good for His children. Would you agree with that? It's always good for us and we can take confidence in that. But today I want us, maybe maybe you have received healing already immediately. Maybe not just in your body like Elliot in this last week, and like Melissa as we prayed specifically, God, not on the bone, and it's not on the bone. Maybe you've you've prayed for and received healing in your marriage. Maybe your marriage was, I don't want to be real crude here, but maybe somebody had pulled the lever, and that that marriage is circling down to oblivion and, 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 and God reached in and healed your marriage. Maybe you'd made some of the dumbest decisions of your life and your young adult life and, and it looked like the consequences were hopeless, but God stepped into your life and gave you a plan and a purpose and put you on the path of redemption and healing in your adult life and you know that. We probably with the group this size could spend the next several hours hearing testimony of the goodness of God in our lives, no doubt. But also in a a church family this size, there may be some of us in this room who are struggling with a sickness, with a disease, with a broken home, with a broken bank account, with broken down kids, and we may not yet even know why that has started in our lives. There's probably somebody here who recognizes that you have a sickness and you need healing, but you don't know why it's come. Here's why I say it that way. When when Pastor Jeff and Melissa stood up here, they knew immediately in that uh, diagnosis from the doctor that they were under attack, that the devil had come against her physically and against them. And sometimes when we hear testimony of that, we may not yet have that discernment. Does that make sense? You may hear somebody giving a testimony in a struggle that's identical to yours or similar to yours, and you may not yet know God's purpose in that, or not God's purpose in the testimony from Melissa, but what's going on in that sickness that it's an attack from the devil. You may not know that. Watch this. That's okay. In the family of God, in the house of God, if you don't know where a struggle has come from or why a sickness has entered your body. Watch this. It doesn't change what we do for you as our brother and sister in the Lord. If when we work through this scripture in just a second, you identify that something has come into your life, we'll see some sources in a minute, something has come into your life for whatever reason and whatever purpose of God, or maybe you get into that and to the end of it, and you never know. Our response for you is the same. If you need healing in your marriage, we're going to pray for healing in your marriage. We're going to stand with you, put our arms literally around you if you'll let us. We're going to get on the the floor on our knees with you or on the floor of your living room on our faces before God. We don't do that so much in here. We could. We could get all the way on our faces, but for some reason we get in the... We get in the living rooms, we do that a lot more often. We get, just get down on our faces before the Lord. If you need healing in your marriage, you need healing in your body. You need healing in your, healing in your stupid decisions. You need healing in a relationship with a child. You need healing in your checkbook or in your, in your career. Every time we understand that you have a need, we are going to gather around you and pray for God to do what only He can do in your body and in your life. Amen? You recognize that? Now, why is it important that we deal with and struggle with the source of sickness in our body or in, in a relationship. Here's why I think it's important. It can bring us clarity. Watch this. But even if it doesn't bring us clarity in the fight against the devil, against our own sin, against the world, or, or just as we'll see in just a second, just for the glory of God, it can bring us clarity. Watch this. But even if, when we struggle with this, we do not get 100% discernment and clarity, it will always, always, always bring us closer to Jesus and to our Savior. Always. So let's take a few minutes, if we could, and look at, in the Scripture, the sources of sickness in the Bible? Maybe, I've said it this way, I think it's on the screen, what, what, what about when you're stuck in God's waiting room? What about you don't know, you don't have a clear indication of what's going on, much less have received the healing yet? What do you do when you're stuck in God's waiting room? It's difficult. It's difficult. Jeanette and I could give testimony about it's easier in our lives when God says, no, I'm not going to answer it your way. It's easier for us than when we're just waiting. Humanly, it's easier when God gives a definitive no than when he seems to be leaving us in the waiting room as we wait for our great physician. Now, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you were here, I preached on the two blind guys and... They were calling out to Jesus. And I don't know if you remember anything from that message. We had no idea what was going to unfold in these last few weeks uh, when we looked at that text together and looked at that message. But I've said something to you that day, and I said it to the kids again this morning. And I want to say it before we look at these scripture. Listen, why is, it why is it important that we pray 100% for what we want to see God do in a, in a body or in a relationship? Why is that important? Here's why. The kids worked through another session on prayer. We won't go into great detail, but let me say this again to you in case you missed it. What you pray about reveals what you believe about God. What you pray about reveals what you believe about God. If you only pray for your meals and you only pray for for safe travel, one of the boys we've had some hurt guys this year, and, and we lost Friday night our football team. I said, what'd you pray about this week? He said, I prayed for safety Friday at the football game. I said, you should have prayed for touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so next time, I know they'll pray for both, right? And more specifically, more specifically, touchdowns on our side with the guys that are wearing our jerseys. Don't just pray for touchdowns. The other team may get them, right? All right. So what I pray about reveals what I believe about God. And secondly, the size of my request reveals the strength of my faith. The size of my request reveals the strength of my faith. Let's look at the Word of God. Sources of sickness in the Bible. Number one is Satan, the devil himself. You know the story from Job. Melissa reminded us of it a few weeks ago. For some reason, he's, he's uh, in the presence of God. God allowed him to visit back in there into his presence. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and Satan says, yeah, Job's got it made. Job's got it made. He's healthy, wealthy, and wise. If I, if I take away his health and his wealth and his, his possessions and even his children, he'll curse you. And God says, God says all right, I'll allow that. And the, devil, the devil attacked Job. Job doesn't, Job doesn't, doesn't stumble. He doesn't curse God. God says to the devil, by way of example to us, it wasn't like God was caught off guard. He says, Job, I told you that was going to happen. Job says, yeah, that's fine about all the stuff and even losing his kids, but if you let me attack his body, he's going to give you the finger. He's going to curse you. God says, no, he's not. The devil afflicted him again. That's what we read in Job chapter 2. So Satan went out and afflicted Job. Sometimes, in fact, watch this. Most of the time in Scripture, the sickness, the torment, the affliction comes from the devil most of the time in Scripture. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, the Pharisees are attacking Jesus for healing on a Sabbath. For healing on a Sabbath. They had ignored this woman for 18 years, and they had all six, six days of that week they had ignored her. But on the Sabbath day, she was confronted with Jesus, and He delivered her. But notice how Jesus says, how Jesus articulates where her sickness had come from. In Luke 11, verse 13, He says this woman whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years. He says to the Pharisees, you morons didn't even pay attention to her. You didn't even pray for her, much less heal her. Let me tell you something. If I can forgive sins on the Sabbath, I can heal bodies on the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus does. He heals the woman who, according to this text, had been bound for 18 long years by her affliction. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, we'll come back here to 2 Corinthians several times. Notice that the apostle Paul says, therefore... He'd had some great visions. he had some great ministry events. He, he, at this point, had not raised a man from the dead. He's going to do that later in the timeline of his ministry. He watch this, he's going to preach so long and acts that this teenager who's sitting in the window trying to keep cool falls asleep during the sermon and falls three stories. Ah, falls asleep during the sermon. Now, if you do that today, the reason we sit on one level is so none of you will fall dead while I'm preaching too long. All right? But Paul's like, oh, no, this is not good. <laughs> it's not good for people to hear that I preached so long that a teenager fell asleep and died. Paul goes downstairs and doesn't stop to pray. He just throws himself on the kid and raises him, back, raises him back to life. Because of the greatness of God in his life, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, see, God didn't just tell him this is from the devil in his life. He gave him even a more specific reason. Paul, God confirmed in Paul's life and his mind and his spirit. You've seen some great things. And then in that text, he just revealed some visions he had. And and Paul says, God allowed, in essence, that's what he's saying. God, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, allowed the devil, notice he says, allowed a messenger of Satan, a thorn in his flesh, to torment him. Sometimes sickness, according to the Bible. In fact, most of the time in the Bible comes from Satan. Secondly, the second source of sin in the Bible we find in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now watch this. David, instead of leading his men in battle, is back home at the palace, and for some reason he's out on the balcony, and he looks down, and I still have never figured this out. In all of the years I took Bible classes in college and seminary, I never had a professor who could tell me why in the world Bathsheba was taking a bath outdoors. I don't know We don't really have that option here because our tubs would just be full of muddy, dusty water, wouldn't they, outside? But she's outside, and she's taking a bath, and David sees her, and he lusts for her, and he sins for her, and he commits adultery with her, and then he lies to her husband, and he gets her husband drunk, and then he has her husband killed, and then eventually she has a baby that's a result of that adulterous encounter. And notice what the Word of God says. This is from Nathan. The prophet Nathan is speaking in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 14. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Now I've got to tell you something. I love the Word of God, but I do not like that passage in 2 Samuel because it's going to go on to say when that baby's born that the Lord struck that child. And I can do theological gymnastics, even though I'm a large man, over lots of scriptural discussions. I can't do anything when the Word of God says, because of David's utter contempt, that the Lord struck the child. Now, I don't like it, but can I tell you something? I trust the one who said it. And in this result, we see in David's life that the reason for this sickness in his child and ultimate death was David's sin. Back to Second Corinthians chapter 12. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul, Pastor Jeff uses it, and I usually do too, when I'm substituting for him in the Lord's Supper and in my past ministry. When we're taking the Lord's Supper, a lot of times we'll use uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because it's very concise with the scriptural presentation of what what happened in that upper room with Jesus uh, at the Lord's Supper, the last supper with his disciples. Watch this. They would get together for worship around communion, and it would be like a potluck. Watch this. And they would take the bread and the wine from the communion and start to pig out on the potluck, and they wouldn't even wait for anybody. Watch this. And they didn't really care about the symbols of the body and the blood of the Lord and the Lord's Supper. They just cared about the bread and the fact that there was wine, and they wanted to get, you know, they, they just wanted to feed themselves and, and, and be selfish. They didn't even wait, Paul says, they didn't, you're not even waiting on the other people to show up, much less come together in a worthy worship experience around the body and the blood of the Lord, the symbols of his body and blood. And Paul says this is a serious problem. In fact, look at the verse I've given you, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. 30, he says, that, in other words, the sin, that sin is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, most of the time in the Word of God, the sickness, the affliction, the bondage comes from the devil, but here's a couple of places where we see that the source of the sickness is sin. Last, number three. Number three, in John chapter 9, in John chapter 9, we see the sovereignty of God. We could say glory of God, but did you notice there are S's there? Satan, Satan, sin, and sovereignty. Did you catch that? Nobody caught that? I have a high dollar education, and you guys are not catching it. You're missing it. We could put glory of God there, but let's say the sovereignty of God. So watch this. There's a guy that's born blind. And Jesus' disciples are starting to figure this spirituality out. They're starting to figure out, you know, there's some really cool stuff going in here. And they so they jump, they jump in. They go, Jesus, Jesus, here's a guy that was born blind. Who sinned him or his parents? Who sinned him or his parents? <laughs> Jesus goes. You, Jesus goes, you guys got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. You're looking at his past. Let me tell you about his present and his future. Jesus says, verse, John chapter 9, verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened. What's the this? What's the antecedent of the this? The antecedent of the this is that the guy was born blind. Are you with me? The guy was born blind, and Jesus said, this fact of this man being born blind, watch it, this fact of him being born blind happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Sometimes, something happens in my life that's not from the devil, and it's, it, it's, not, it's not a result of my sin, and watch this, it may not even be a result of the chaotic nature of a sinful world that's spinning out of control, and sometimes some of the junk in the world comes off and hits the fan, and it all lands on me. It may not be anything, but according to Jesus here, other than so that the power of God could be seen in you. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 12. I've given you those verses as well. We started there with Paul. It's in there with him. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, that thorn in his flesh, that tormentor of Satan. But notice what God said to him, verse 9. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says he identified a couple of different perspectives in his, in his probably blindness, he saw Jesus, the risen Christ, on the road to Damascus. It probably d- damaged his eyes to the point that the older he got, that damage increased to where uh, he just he couldn't see very well. He started having, we believe, uh, uh, scribes, a writing down the Word of God as God gave it to him as he got older. Watch this. The point is this. Paul identified his as both, a torment from Satan as well as for the power of God to rest on him in his life. But what if you're in God's waiting room and you don't have any idea what's going on? I'm glad you asked. That's why we have a backside today. Well, we have a backside because God created us that way, but that's another thing. We have a backside on this paper right here because I'm glad you asked, what if I can't discern the source of eye sickness, what do I do? We're going to Jan- Daniel chapter 10, verses 5 to 19. Let me tell you what's happening here. This is late in the ministry of Daniel. This is late in his ministry. He's already been through the reign of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's in Persia's reign under Cyrus. And about two years before this, Cyrus has decreed that God's people, listen, that God's people can go back to the Holy Land. In fact, Ezra is already there, and he's reinstated some things in the worship of God on the Temple Mount, And but the people still haven't been released. The fact of the people not being released historically it is a historical fact under the, under the reign of Cyrus. He's given the decree. Two years later, they're still not gone. You'd think if the king of Persia had given the decree, they would be gone. But watch this. Behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, there's a spiritual battle. And Gabriel is there leading the angels of God in battle against the prince of Persia. That's a demon leader in, over Persia. <clears throat> and the spiritual battle is the reason that physically they haven't made the trek back to the Holy Land. And Gabriel's there battling... Uh, The Prince of Persia is what the Word of God says. And and Daniel begins to pray. He begins to pray for three weeks that God would turn loose his people and they would head back, but more specifically than that, about a vision he had. And if you want to spend some time there, it's a vision that God specifically tells him in very serious detail, prophetically speaking, that the, the Greeks are coming, the Romans are coming, and on down the line for a ways. It's a really big deal. Daniel needs an interpretation of the vision. He's praying for God's people to go, and Gabriel comes and says, Daniel, I'm sorry that I wasn't here for three weeks. Daniel was down at the the river Tigris, and, and he has an encounter, and Gabriel shows up, and Gabriel says, Daniel, I'm sorry that I wasn't here for three weeks. I've been battling the Prince of Persia, and Father God sent Michael, and we know from the unfolding of God's history, Michael basically slaps the prince of Persia around and the spiritual battle is won and God's people finally go. Ezra's ministry joins with Nehemiah's ministry and the people return. Watch this, exactly 70 years after God, they said they were gonna be in exile for 70 years. Now watch this. In In the midst of this narrative, as Gabriel, probably Gabriel, is speaking to Daniel, we see some lessons that we can apply when we find ourselves stuck in God's waiting room. You ready? Let's look at number one. Number one is from verses 10 and 11. Just then a hand touched me. This is Gabriel, Daniel speaking. A hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. This is the New Living Translation. Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Watch this. God cares more about you than you know. He cares more about you than you care about you. If you find yourself in God's waiting room, don't lose heart. God cares more about you than you know. He has not forgotten about you. He's not gotten so busy in the affairs of the universe that he doesn't even need to pay attention to, your, to your, the circumstances of your small life. We see Gabriel saying to Daniel, you are very precious to God say, Pastor, I know that. Why is that a big deal to me? Listen, if you find something in your marriage, in your relationship with your child, in your child's life, if you find a, a cancer, who cares where it comes from, the devil or your own sin, or, or the for the glory of God, or because the world stinks, if you find yourself in that position, be reminded immediately that you are precious to God. He's not forgotten you. You're precious to Him. Listen, this is Daniel. And for three weeks, he was ignored, he thought, in his prayers. And the first thing that Gabriel reminds him is that he's precious to God. God cares more about you than you do and more about you than you know. Look at verse 12. The second truth, if you find yourself in God's waiting room, the second truth is this. God is doing more than you understand. Look at verse 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. God is doing more than you understand. He's doing more than you understand. Listen, if you've been following the Lord longer than I've been alive, He's still doing more than you understand. If you 've been following the Lord for a long time and you think you've got him figured out, he is doing more than you understand in your life. if you 're a brand new believer and you say, "Man, I wish I had the discernment that Pastor Jeff and Melissa got I wish i could I wish I could have something come into my life and take it head on in such a confidence that people look and go man what a what an incredible testimony of a woman of God, of a man of God Listen if you 're not if you, if you don't sense that kind of confidence, that's okay. You're precious to God. And there's more happening in your body and in your life than you and I can understand, than you and I can understand. Number three, the third, excuse me. Yeah, number three, the third truth is this. The third truth is this. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you find yourself in God's waiting room, don't give up. Look at verses 7 through 19 from Daniel chapter 10. How can someone like me, Daniel says, your servant talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again and I felt my strength returning. Look at this message. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. And then back to 2 Corinthians 12. Notice again. By way of application. Three times Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. Now listen. Listen. This is good news this morning. And can I tell you something? Some people will say, if you pray for a miracle and God doesn't give it, then you're going to look foolish. If you pray for healing and it doesn't unfold in that person's body until they get to heaven, you're going to look like you didn't have enough faith. Can I tell you something? I don't know any other way to live, do you? I was—I I was, Praise God, I was born into a family, two families of people that choose to live in such a way when something comes into their life that they can't explain or that knocks one of their loved ones down or they find themselves weak and with no answers in their mind and no strength in their body in their bodies. Can I tell you something? I come from generations of people that believe you, you don't pray after you've done everything you can do. You pray before recognizing there's nothing you can do anyway. Does that make sense? And I don't know how i would be if I didn't come from those kind of people, but I come from a people who've been saying for generations before me, you choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And when somebody comes to me in my family, somebody comes to me in my church family, and they're hurting and they don't know why, I'm always going to pray for God to heal them. Amen? I'm always going to pray for God to make them strong. If they have a weakness that they can't get a grip on, God may your strength may be per, made perfect in this weakness. God may your grace be shown. But in the meantime, God, I'm going to keep praying that I'm going to pray for you to heal and pray for you God to do what only you can do. I can't do it, Pastor Jeff can't do it. None of in this room us in this room Even if you're the best medical doctor in this area, you can't do anything outside of the power of Jesus and the presence of his Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? You and I can't do it. So we keep on, in our limited human understanding, we keep on putting ourselves in a position to be reminded that we're precious to God, that he's doing more than we can understand when we can't see what's happening, and that his strength is made perfect, and we keep believing that he's going to heal us and redeem us and strengthen us One of these days. Now, I'm going to pray for it to be today because I don't know any different. I don't know any better. I'm too stupid and too dumb and too blind not to believe that I want God to do it today and I pray for him to do it today. Amen? And if he chooses to do it tomorrow, I'm going to give him glory tomorrow when he does it. And if he chooses to do it in Houston, I'm going to give him glory in Houston when he does it. If he chooses to do it in Southwest Amarillo in the medical center, wherever and whenever he chooses to heal, I'm going to say, thank you, God. It was you all along. Amen? Can I tell you something? Eventually, in the life of godly people, God is going to use somebody. He's going to use, he's going to use an, an illness or a sickness to take your life. Let me tell you a story about a lady named Cora Grant. She didn't have any kids. Her husband wasn't a believer. She lived most. He died when they were young. She lived most of her life as a widow. And one day, she found herself in rehab again. She was 90 years old. And I said, Cora, I'm going to pray for God to heal you. And she said, Pastor, really, you need to cut that stuff out. You know, she was just really mad. You need to cut that out. I don't care if it's a heart attack, if it's a stroke, if my kidneys blow up. I, don't, I prefer to go to sleep and not wake up here. I don't care what it is. Stop praying for me to be healed. I'm ready to go see Jesus, all right? Now, hopefully we all get to that point, right? Where we can be 90 years old and stand in faith and say, I finished the race. In fact, I fought a good fight. And to live is Christ, but to, I'm going to tell you something, to die is gain. Hopefully we all get to that point and can stand in the testimony of my friend Cora Grant. But until we do, until we get to that point where God touches us and heals us, let's keep on believing. Until we get to that point that we're 90 years old and we can say we've finished the race, and we fought a good fight. Let's keep believing for God's strength to be made perfect in our weakness until we get to that point where we recognize that our faith may be weak, but our God is strong. Let's keep on believing. God answers out of his love according to his will. I don't have to know all the details to believe, amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. You, we're, we're, we're sheep and we're dumb and we wander off and we come, up with, we come up with all kinds of intellectual frameworks to try to figure out the stuff in life that just absolutely stinks. And God, we know that most of it comes from the devil. Some of it comes from our sin. And God, we, we don't fully understand the last one, but God, we believe that even some things come into our lives that are there for no reason but to bring you glory when you act in our lives. God, we don't have to understand it. We don't have to be able to articulate it to everybody who asks. We don't have to know everything to obey and believe. So God, today, again, for our pastor and his wife, we pray for your 100% healing. And God, when you bring it, we give you the glory. Until you bring it, we give you the glory. And Father, for the men and women in this room who may not see a purpose in their pain, they may not see a reason or understand a perspective as to why you would allow this, even from a biblical text like we've looked at today. God, if there's some here who are just simply stuck in your waiting room and they feel alone, remind them today, God, that they're precious to you and they're precious to us. God, until you answer or until you call us home, we intend, we covenant together to pray for our Redeemer to live in this place. We ask for you, God, to reconcile marriage relationships. We ask for you, God, to strengthen parent-child relationships. We ask for you, God, to strengthen this church for these men and women are standing in the gap as our pastor is out for a season. God, and for these bodies who need a healing touch from you, we don't know any other way to live than to believe that our Savior is a Redeemer and a Healer this morning, and so we trust in you, God. When we when we don't know your plan, God, when we can't see your hand, Father, we trust your heart, and we do it in Jesus' name, Amen. You see these.